drama of it and you know it was an incredible spectacle and it did perfectly illustrate the lunacy of trans activists and of groupthink and um, and of the danger of them the fact that you know they are kind of a terrorist threat really at this point I think she was an absolute genius to um to, to, to do it like that to um to firstly to try and empower ordinary women who have been totally shut out of the conversation it's a very elitist view and a very privileged view to be able to pretend that this um that, that sex doesn't matter and I think it is something that an elite of women um, are more likely to um, to hold than, than ordinary women. So I think to sort of hand the microphone to them was both sort of politically and strategically very important. And I think that the coverage has exposed them. It really has shown that this isn't a sort of put upon minority. These are dangerous and unhinged people. Welcome to the New Flesh podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Jonathan Astro, I have to think about that. And with me is Ricky Orpike. How are you, Ricky? I'm good, thanks. Uh, would you believe we're talking about trans issues again? Trans issues. Now, is that... Yeah, I, I think... I, yeah, I can. I can. <laughs> can. I think we should change the name of this podcast to the, the Turf Flesh or something. The Turf Flesh. The, the, uh, <laughs> the, the Trans Flesh. The Trans Flesh. Welcome <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Trans Flesh. Yes, welcome to the Transflash Podcast. <laughs> yes, well, anyway, uh, here to cover this uh, this this endless topic is uh, Joe Bartosz. She's with us again. Always love catching up with Joe. And um, yes, we'll be talking about uh, Kelly J. Keane's uh, tour, amongst other things. Joe Bartosz is a journalist campaigning for the rights of women and girls. She's a prolific contributor to a right, wide range of publications, including The Times, The Telegraph, The Critic, The Spectator, Mail on Sunday, Unheard, Spiked and others. This is Joe's third time appearing on this show. Her last appearance was in September 2022. That's episode 149. Joe, welcome back to The New Flesh. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me back. Joe. I think we may have heard the word Nazi uh, more in the last few weeks than in 1942. Uh, does that term mean anything now, Nazi? I mean, it should do, shouldn't it? Um, I mean, it, it should refer to, uh, you know, the, the genocide of, um, of, the, of the Second World War. But um, no, it has been shamefully devalued. Um, and it seems anyone who has a, a heterodox opinion is now a Nazi. And um, I think what's most concerning about that is the minute you call somebody a Nazi, the minute you put that sort of label, that slur, you, you put a target on them. So um, so I think the way um, Kelly J. Keene in particular has been called a Nazi, uh, you know, the, she, she nearly died because of that. She was nearly crushed to death because of that. So I think, you know, words have consequences and um, it's not something that should be thrown around lightly. Mm. Well, you've written an interesting piece about the use of the word fascist in relation to women's rights campaigners. Can you can you tell us about that? Yeah, certainly. So um, I know that um, that when um, Kelly J. Keane came to uh, to speak in uh, Australia, she um, there was a sort of fairly polarised reaction, um, and um, unbeknownst to her. Um, and to any of the organisers, um, a group of, um, I won't call them Nazis because, you know, the Nazis were an actual thing. They're neo-Nazis. Um, and I did watch one of their podcasts and they are quite bonkers. I mean, I've, you know, vile views. Um, and they um, they appeared and they gave um, a salute 
um, and um, were pictured, were photographed doing so. And as a result of that, I understand that um, one of your MPs, uh, Moira Deeming, um, was um, suspended from the Liberal Party as, as a result of being in proximity to them, despite the fact that she had um, had nothing to do with that. So it seems to have gone from guilt by association to guilt by proximity, which is absolutely bonkers. Um, I also understand that she was largely brought up by her uncle, who was a Holocaust survivor. So, you know, I think that adds a, another level of offence to, um, to the way that, um, that the term fascist and Nazi gets used. I, I suppose more generally, it's it's just become so devalued. It's become emptied of any meaning, um, both the term Nazi and fascist. Um, and um, and I think people probably outside the debate aren't necessarily um, aware of that. I think they probably still believe it has some currency. Um, but what does worry me is that you know the more the more you devalue it and the more sort of you destigmatize it in a way the sort of tiny minority of people who genuinely are dangerous probably will will benefit from that as well. Well, there were some uh, people who who self-identify as, as Nazis who, who rolled up, and we will talk about uh, Maura Deeming's case uh, a little bit later, but uh, I've been thinking about it, and do you think that the, that this the, the overuse of these terms, um, particularly by uh, um, these the trans rights activists that we, we've seen uh, and that, that crowd... I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what to put it down to. Do you, do you think it, 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 it's in part due to, and I'm, I'm not being funny here, to a sort of a lacklustre education, self or otherwise, about history and politics? Yeah, I mean, I think also there's a, a strange effect on social media, which I think, let's, let's be honest, is where these people tend to spend most of their time, where words get devalued because to stand out, you have to say the most shocking thing, the most, you know, the most... Um, and it's become a shorthand, I suppose, as well, um, for anyone I disagree with. So I suppose maybe that sort of escalation online where, you know, one person condemns it, another person says it's abhorrent, another person says... I mean, that's you get these sort of strange connections. So when the conversion therapy bill was being discussed in the UK, every single politician came out and said the word abhorrent, which is a fairly unusual word. So it's clear that, A, they've been briefed, but also it was, you know, the most dramatic, the most sort of shocking word they could think of, and it sort of became connected with that cause. And I think perhaps something similar happens with with trans activists in particular and with the sort of far-left activists. It's not just enough to say, I disagree. Um, You have to sort of um, dehumanise and smear opponents and I guess it's a very effective and quick way of doing that and it's sort of the most shocking term you can throw out there um, and I think you know conversely from from the other side perhaps paedophile fulfills the same sort of role um, it just puts somebody beyond the bounds of of what's socially acceptable very quickly. Yes I tend to agree well we, we recently had a uh, had a women's rights campaigner Kelly Jane Keane, who you mentioned uh, before here in Australia and New Zealand on her "Let Women Women Speak" tour, which you've written several several articles about, and we'll talk about those. But I just want to set the scene in case someone's been in a coma. Uh, there were a series of uh, public uh, free speech events, open mic style, in which women could say whatever they needed to say, including, uh, but not limited to, that women don't have penises. Uh, there were events in Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne, Hobart, Canberra, and in New Zealand, Auckland, and Wellington, which was cancelled. Every single one of these events featured counter-protesters and some kind of police presence. 
before we drill down into specifics, Joe, I just wanted to get your big picture reaction to the tour and the subsequent fallout. Um, and perhaps the second part of the question would be, uh, what's the reaction been like in the UK at large? I mean, I know that um, Kelly J has just given an interview on Tucker Carlson, which I understand has got the sort of largest viewing figures um, of any channel in the US, or of any program rather in the US. So, you know, it has made an impact. And interestingly, though he's a conservative himself, or, you know, Republican, I know that I think around a third of his views are actually Democrats. So I think this is actually quite a, a useful, I think that the drama of it and, you know, it was an incredible spectacle and it did perfectly illustrate the lunacy of trans activists and of groupthink and um, and of the danger of them, the fact that, you know, they are kind of a terrorist threat, really, at this point. I think she was an absolute genius to um, to, to, to do it like that, to, um, to firstly to try and empower ordinary women who have been totally shut out of the conversation. It's a very elitist view and a very privileged view to be able to pretend that this um, that, that sex doesn't matter. And I think it is something that an elite of women um, are more likely to um, to hold than, than ordinary women. So I think to sort of hand the microphone to them was both sort of politically and strategically very important. And I think that the coverage has exposed them. It really has shown that this isn't a sort of put upon minority these are dangerous and unhinged people did did the tour go how how you thought it would like were you surprised by the way the events seemed to get nuttier and nuttier as as they progressed like you know there was there was noise disruption and chanting then people snatching the mic that that happened in melbourne uh then the nazis rolled up you know uh politicians flinging themselves to the ground and uh <laughs> and, and and new zealand seemed to have you know everything including storming storming the stage where where kelly j was and uh and surprisingly not not much police did 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 you think it would go that way i didn't but i should have um, in retrospect, I mean, well, it's easy, isn't it, in retrospect? But it does seem, um, particularly, I think, the reaction from uh, your liberal politicians, I think that sowed the seeds for what happened next. Um, so I think there was a chance she could have continued her tour um, and that it um, that it could have gone off, if not peacefully, with, with less um, of a threat to life. I think the fact it didn't is something that can be laid directly at the door of um, uh, Passetto and um, and Dan Andrews, mm. um, yes. I think had they not have had smeared her and sort of ratcheted up the the drama and the tension, um, had indeed the New Zealand Prime Minister um, have had robustly defended her her right to freedom of speech rather than a sort of mealy mouthed, oh well, we have to grant her a visa. Really, had they have actually stood up for liberal values, um, small L. Um, then, um, then I think it could have been avoided. As as it as it happened, I think it was kind of inevitable. The minute they tried to to smear her for whatever political, internal, political ends as a Nazi, I think that sort of that set everything in motion. That to say that just made it very easy to dehumanise her, dismiss her arguments, and um, and make it something that even the police weren't prepared to defend. And I do think the police have become politicised. They have in the UK as well. So sorry, I forgot to um, to add that you asked earlier what's the reaction in the UK been like. And um, we have had questions in Parliament, or a question in Parliament. We have had our policing minister come out and say that he is very concerned 
about the threat to women's rights from trans activists. We had a protest outside the New Zealand embassy yesterday. So it has picked up, um, it has sort of made made the news here. It has um, been put on the political agenda. Um, well, it already was here. But we've had all these statements before and nothing has happened. So, you know, we've had concerns about the politicisation of the police because as as in New Zealand, I mean, obviously that was a far more extreme case, but over here when we've had women's rights protests, the police bow out quite often. They will protect the trans activists. A lot of them are still signed up to Stonewall schemes and they're absolutely terrified of um, of being accused of, of being transphobic. So they will... And, and there is a massive problem with institutional misogyny, as a report came out last week. Um, there was a huge problem with with um, with institutional misogyny within the police force. So, in a way, it's not that surprising. It's a way that they can get sort of cheap inclusivity points, um, whilst actually sort of bashing women effectively, or indeed using trans activists to do it for them. Is this? Uh, I mean, speaking specifically about the New Zealand situation, maybe. Do you think that uh, that this? Essentially, it was a riot. I mean, do you think that mobbing uh, was a huge own goal for the trans movement, do you think? I mean, I know a lot of them are celebrating and crowing about it as if it was some sort of, you know, Battle of Cable Street victory. So that was an anti-fascist campaign, uh, a sort of fight, basically, in in the east end of London, sort of around... 70 years ago? No longer than that. Anyway, whatever. So, yeah, I think they're sort of... of waving it around as a victory. I think to the same world, to the outside world, if nothing else, they're going to be looking at it thinking, well, something's something's wrong here. Yeah, I think optics-wise, I mean, things are so polarised, it's very difficult to... It sounds so trite, but it's true. It's, it's really difficult because it's being reported on so differently depending on which outlet you read, which, which you know, is, is always the problem, and particularly when uh, national broadcasters... So I think, is ABC your national broadcaster in Oz? It is very much so. I, so. Sort of, I, I get the impression they've been sort of captured by Acon, is it, in the same way perhaps Correct. the BBC has by Stonewall. Yes. Um, so um, looking at the language, looking, I mean, the BBC here called uh, KJ an anti-trans campaigner rather than a women's rights campaigner. And that's something, you know, I think that's quite indicative and quite telling of their bias. Um, so it's only, yeah, Fox News, I guess, in the States and, you know, the sort of right, right of centre outlets who are reporting on this with any balance, which I think is concerning. Well, related to that, I think all the women we've spoken to about this particular issue, Kelly J. Keane, Holly Lawford-Smith, Catherine Deves, Angie Jones, Sal Grover, and hopefully more redeeming uh, uh, sometime soon, and of course you, Joe, uh, coming at it from another angle, I would say that there, there would be um, a lot of areas of disagreement between all of the people I just mentioned uh, on, it could be anything, workers' rights, taxes, abortion it could be any 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 number of things but the sex-based rights of women have in a sense created a coalition uh who are all fighting for the same outcome because i noticed this i don't know what you thought ricky we went to a couple of the protests i went to sydney he went to, to melbourne and i saw um people from all stripes there you know uh, all across the spectrum so but um do you reckon you could talk about this this coalition broadly um is the coalition sort of key to the success of the current movement um, to sex-based rights, do you think? Yeah, I mean, something it, it puts me in mind of, so I've seen some people in Australia and New Zealand, and indeed when Kelly J went to the US, saying that it's a form of imperialism, 
that um, that she was sort of seeking to, to to teach people in these countries who couldn't do it for themselves. And I think that is entirely the wrong way of looking at it. Um, so the quote, I think it's Virginia Woolf, which was, um, uh, as a woman, I have no country, my country is the world. And I think what that really gets at and what that indicates is that um, whatever divides us, um, there is that sort of fundamental biological underpinning that unites us wherever we are. Um, and I think when it comes to the accusations of colonialism, well, this is clearly something that has come from the US. So sod off, <laughs> um, essentially. I guess with um, with the sort of broad, uh, the broad sort of coalitions that have, um, that have come about, it, I mean, it's really, it's not me being so narrow-minded. Looking back, I can see that actually I was quite, sniffy about religious people about um about anyone who didn't share my particular brand of progressive values and it has opened my eyes it's made me question things which can only be a good thing and I'm presuming that goes across the board in other directions as well so I think it has opened up conversations it's made us realize what what we have in common and perhaps undone some of the damage that social media has done in that um there is more room for nuance, for debates, for disagreements um, within the sort of broader coalition. I know in the UK there are, and I think in the US there was actually, no, in Australia as well, because there was that letter, wasn't there? Sorry. Um, I think there were some on the very far left who happen to know what sex is, who object to broader coalitions. Um, but I think, I think they're preaching to a diminishing choir. Mm. Well, I also wonder if if this can um, sustain over time because I always think of the uh, final scene of The Breakfast Club, uh, you know, uh, they all come together and I wonder, on Monday, will they all still be friends, you know, <laughs> or will uh, the old uh, loyalties um, come about? I think it might have made us all a bit more open-minded. I, I, I really do. I think, you know, when this when this... I don't think this is going to end anytime soon. I keep sort of thinking, that must be it. That must be it every time anything sort of dramatic happens. But it never bloody is. And I think it will take a long time to unravel. I think it's made me more critical of the faults of those I used to see on my own side. And um, so I don't necessarily think that we will go back to the same tribes um, or that we will go back to the same way of thinking, I hope. Yeah, well, I've I've been thinking more and more about about what happens if if the fight for women's spaces and and sex based rights fails, and I I think of countries where where women aren't allowed to leave their house without a male family member as a chaperone, for instance. Um, do you think a lot of women will retreat out of public life if self ID isn't wound back in some way? Is is that the danger? So in a way, I think the arguments. Um, or the sort of distilling of arguments is about things like services like toilets um, and all the rest of it are slightly over overplayed. I think it's a useful sort of symbol, but um, maybe maybe I'm just talking from my own experience. But I, I mean, if I'm honest, I'm, I'm not massively concerned about being attacked in a toilet, but it's still just, I feel fundamentally un, undignified. So I guess when it comes to services, yeah, I mean, there have been reports in schools of girls, um, like, basically skipping school when they're on their period because you need to, like, you need to wee more, stuff like that. And sort of those sort of 
quite humiliating and personal things. Yeah, I mean, there was this thing that the, the Victorians campaigned against, yeah. or the um, Victorians, as in not state of Victoria, sorry, as in historically, um, called the urinary leash, which is why public toilets became a thing. Uh, for women so you know obviously men can we pretty much wherever but public toilets became a thing because of that because women needed to enter public space so actually I suppose it seems trivial but I, maybe it just seems trivial to me because it doesn't bother me particularly but perhaps some women yeah I think it could um, I think certainly it could have an impact when it comes to health um, because if you can't be guaranteed a female doctor, if you can't be guaranteed a female nurse, I think that will probably stop you wanting to go into hospitals, stop you wanting to get one, and nobody wants to. But, you know, I think it will discourage women, um, particularly those, I, I would imagine, from uh, religious backgrounds, um, who, you know, considering this is all sort of sold under the guise of inclusivity, it does seem like it's going to be those who are religious who are more impacted. And then there are things like leisure things, like um, we've got, we had a, it's called the Hampstead Women's Pond, and that's, that's become mixed sex, effectively. Um, there is actually a mixed sex pond as well, but, of course, the, the men who identify as women don't want to use that because it's not validating. So, um, so yeah, and that's, that was used in particularly by um, a lot of Jewish women. So it's in North London. And, um, and I know there have been reports that quite a few of them aren't using it anymore because, because of men. So, yeah, actually... Sorry, that's a very roundabout answer and a very rambling answer because I was trying to think what I what I would think and what other people would think. But I guess I guess yes, it probably will have an impact. Uh, one one lady that that got up to speak at uh, at the rally in Melbourne came from sort of a, a, a healthcare background, and she she mentioned that uh, a lot of uh, people who have English as a second language or, or or don't have much English immigrants find it hard with the, the language change when they get say. A notification saying that that they need to to get a pap smear or something or you know uterus havers or you know that yes. sort of that sort of strange language uh, is is a bit hard to understand for for uh, immigrants which are uh, I actually I, I never thought of it that way um, but that's sort of another way in which uh, this gender ideology will will have uh, a quite a dramatic or could potentially have quite a dramatic uh, influence on on people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and still, I think it's still a majority of women don't know what a cervix is, <laughs> um, don't know what a vulva is. I mean, you know, there are basic biological things that most women still don't know. And, you know, there are issues with literacy even amongst those who have English as a first language. So, yeah, it is a hugely, I think this is part of it being such an elitist thing, sort of pandering to this particularly, I think, privileged, tiny minority. Well, uh, I'd like to drill down a little bit into the New Zealand case because partly because it was just so mind-bending but uh, basically in New Zealand we saw some of the worst behavior of, of Kelly J's time in Australia in Australasia the the counter protesters threw items they doused uh, her with with what we now know as juice uh, they punched a 70 year old woman in the face I saw signs with the usual signs uh, uh, with aggressive language like suck my dick. Uh, uh, I saw a large, what I'm guessing is a drag queen or or something, whatever, uh, elbowing a a man in the face uh, when Kelly J was trying to escape. Um, It seems that the, the, um, so shall we say, the TERFs in in Melbourne uh, are being tarred by the unrelated presence of sort of cosplay fascists, uh, but the more direct actions of the counter-protesters in New Zealand 
and elsewhere is being willfully ignored. What, why are the, the TRAs seemingly protected from being tarred by their worst elements? Because uh, it, 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 I think it also should be noted that uh, there were there were Greens uh, politicians, um, uh, maybe some Labor, but I think mainly Greens is what I know of, who seemed to be very at home amongst the crowd in Hobart, for instance, and and uh, there was one in New Zealand as well. So, yeah, the question is, what, what, why do you think that there's this uh, protective ring around the, these the, the, what what is a pretty objectively bad behaviour? And maybe my take on this is reflective of the fact that you know I I write and I'm a journalist. But to me, it's indicative that it, it just doesn't fit the narrative. So, you know, it's, it's, I think journalists in particular are busy. They've got to report on something quickly. And it, it, if it doesn't fit that sort of preordained script and they have to rewrite it and push back and challenge, that's difficult. And, you know, we're constantly told it's a high suicide rate, which, again, is questionable, that, there's, um, that they're sort of victimised, they're marginalised, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I can, I can see that if you then have to say, no, actually, in this instance, they were the aggressors. Fancy that. Um, it, it makes it quite, it, it makes the story less accessible. It takes more explanation. It's harder to dig into. And, of course, you know, they have all been given their training um, from and have their style guides um, dictated by the likes of Akon and, and Stonewall. So I guess that's that's going to impact as well. So yeah, I think it doesn't fit the narrative. Um, perhaps, I mean, something that um, that frustrates the hell out of me, if I, I mean, the, the outlets I write for who understand that, frankly, they know what they're going to get. There are somewhere, sometimes I have an editor who will say to me, oh, can you make it clear that they're not representative of trans people? Can you make it clear that this is a tiny minority of, you know, antagonistic people and they're not actually all trans themselves? And I find myself thinking, well, <laughs> you know, it's f- firstly, I don't think anyone's really trans. I think it's a, a belief system um, and um, and I don't think it, it you know, means you're, you're necessarily in some existential way trans any more than if you were a member of a weird cult that you were chosen by God. I mean, you know, it's, but whatever. And then there's, um, I suppose there's the idea that, um, that they're not representative. It's, I mean, it's a bit like saying, you know, or oh, if you're writing about the Taliban, could you make it clear that, you know, they're not all bad eggs? Well, I'm sorry, but, you know, as a, as, as a sort of general, actually, I think they are pretty representative of, of, of trans activists. That's, that's what they're like. They are sort of so fueled by their own uh, blinkered, messianic, self-righteous madness that actually they are a threat they are dangerous but um but i think just sort of getting that out there and sort of not pussyfooting around and and sort of constantly having to nod to the fact that they're a vulnerable minority um it really hinders just telling the truth but i've seen uh, a fair amount of this this and maybe you guys can help me i've seen a lot of footage from from these events uh and and in the past i haven't seen any sign from the gender critical side uh, or the the turf side, whatever you want to say, I haven't seen any sign as as awful as the ones that I have from the trans the TRA side. Like you, it is. Com- I mean, I think it's fair to say it is common to see suck my dick or lady dick or whatever, whatever you want. Violent, horrible, like the the probably some of the worst stuff you could say like if you like and and the the the, the people holding it are often not the people you would expect um yeah. the latest one was just some woman who looked like she just worked at a library you know and 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 I was just like it's so it shocking does. well she probably does but, <laughs> but 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 I don't understand 
why this i haven't seen that reported even like like in any outlet there's been not one image where where someone said or or, or the people all the people next to them have said you know what that's you shouldn't even be here that's the worst thing i've seen all week get out of here yeah i mean i suppose there's probably a taste of decency thing as well when it comes to what can be reported um you know i think i think sometimes that that hinders things as well um so i know um i couldn't believe one of your mps calling uh, well essentially using using the c word in parliament i mean what what Mm. <laughs> I mean, absolutely bonkers. So I guess they are so extreme. I also think the, I do think the sort of pornographic driver for this means that you do get, again, a ratcheting up of language and an urge to be sort of, you know, more visceral, more shocking, more sort of, I think almost there's like a desensitization that goes on with that. That means perhaps it isn't as shocking to them to say, suck my dick. Um, and they don't really see it as, as, as extreme as it actually is because they're pretty inured to those sorts of sentiments anyway, perhaps. Well, I don't know. No, no. Well, it, it, look, it's, 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 it's difficult stuff to get our head around. Now, I, I, wanted to, I personally wanted to, to, to talk about one MP from New Zealand. I don't know if you saw this. I might have to explain it. So, uh, you know, you could compare. We'll talk about more redeeming shortly. But um, there was a Greens Party co-leader called Marama Davidson in the New Zealand who proclaimed as she was leaving the protest, as she was tracked down by by an alternative uh, media source, and they were asked, they were sort of asking her questions as she was leaving, and um, they asked, they uh, you know said uh, this was after it had been you know Kelly J had escaped. Uh, for her life and she said quote i know who causes violence in the world it is it is white cis men uh close quote um which is you know i'm not defending white cis cis men here uh we could that's a discussion for another time uh uh, but we'd we'd have to look at the data maybe she's right maybe she's not um uh, i think she got herself into some hot water in new zealand because it's revealed some rather awkward statistics she didn't want to uh perhaps talk about but the point here is that we have an mp who attended the successful shutting down of a free speech event uh, that featured documented incidents of assault making broad assertions about her neighbors friends constituents colleagues um she's been lightly admonished by some including the pm but the idea of expulsion or or, or suspension was never on the table unlike moira who perhaps we'll talk about next um this woman knew that she could do or say what she wanted uh if she was surrounded by pink and blue flags uh Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like there's something about the smirk on her face is, is 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 says it all as well she's saying you know i know people who who've you know, hide their identity. Who, who, what? You know, Guy Pierce made a groveling apology just today because he said something, some comment about you know he, he posed a question about where you know where maybe trans people might want to should act. Yeah, that's right. And so everyone <laughs> is is um you know it's pretty serious. And so I just you know I just wanted you to explore this idea of this um it's like she's got the cheat codes on or something you know. She knew she could say whatever she wanted, you know, in in this space, um, and no one would 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 run with this narrative. No one would would say would would suspend her. No one would um, kick her out of her party or question her on a broad statement uh, that she made leaving or anything like that. But, but she also said the quiet part out loud as well. Like she said, men, 
you know, and, and a lot of the trans rights activists there are men, you know. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a, a man who punched a 72-year-old woman. Um, it's, yes. Yeah, it, it is a, a shield, isn't it? It's like a weird rainbow shield. And I think partly because of historical injustice um, to the gay and lesbian community, because they've sort of used that and they're hiding behind that, it is now very difficult to point out that actually, you know, (laughs) there do seem to be an awful lot of trans people who are also quite creepy. Hmm. (laughs) You know, it's really really difficult to sort of point this out now without sort of being accused essentially of the same sort of um, bigative behaviour of, of the past. Um, but, but then how do we call out guys? There's a guy standing in, was it the Canberra one or where was the it? Canberra one. Were the, guys, the guy with the tracksuit pants? The tracksuit pants. There's a guy standing there. Like he looks like uh, the build of a boxer and he's and he's just staring down this person who's filming him. He's doing the, the kissy face like, like, you know, and, he, and you can see he's got big business. A huge erection. Huge yeah, erection. Well, I, I didn't want to say it. It's disgusting. <laughs> So. Yeah, I mean, clearly they get off on it because it's about power. I mean, it's, I mean, the whole, well, you know, we don't want to go sort of too far into the mindset of it, but I think there's been some really interesting feminist analysis about the fact that for these men, not only do they objectify women and sort of want to inhabit their version of what a woman is, um, but it's also their version of what a woman is, is about submission. Um, because the whole, arguably, the whole construction of femininity is about submission. So, you know, whether it's wearing painful shoes that make you vulnerable, that you can't walk in. I've seen it. We saw India Willoughby, who's uh, one of our most um, obnoxious and thankfully enjoyably thick trans activists here in the UK. And he was talking about how he'd bound his feet to wear a smaller pair of shoes. I mean, that that is like archetypal kind of geisha style. female idea of, of submission it's also revolting when it you know when you think about the sort of historical implications of that for, for the women in china who had their feet broken and were disabled by it so you know it is so much of it is about essentially kind of snm um but with women as a sort of submissive role and that's why they're so attracted to it and yeah so of course it's going to attract weirdos like him because <laughs> because it's a kind of creepy pornified um, sexist dynamic that they're all playing a, into. A, a cult of kink. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's no surprise there were so many bloody weirdos in it. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's talk about Moira Annette next. Uh, now, you you wrote a great piece for the critic uh, about the kangaroo court situation that that we have here in Melbourne. Um, so basically, Moira Deeming, she's a, a Liberal Party MP. Uh, and she attended the rally and she read out a statement from a Muslim friend that was too frightened to speak personally at the event. And, you know, she's been denounced now by the Liberal Party, um, by the leader. And there was there were calls to throw her out of the Liberal Party, but they've walked that back a little bit. She's she's been reprimanded with a, uh, I think, a nine-month ban and she has to sit on the... Uh, on the back bench, I believe. On the naughty step. <laughs> yes, yes, it is very, uh, it, it is very kind of primary school reprimand, isn't it? But uh, Liberal leader John Pesciuto said uh, expelling Deeming was a necessary step to ensure the Liberal Party was an effective opposition and ready to govern come the 20, 2026 uh, state election. And he went on to say, and this is a quote, uh, there wasn't really any alternative but to do this, the reason being any question of an association, even indirectly with Nazis, white supremacist, eco-fascists, or whatever else is so odious in 2023 as it should be that I can't see a way back. 
Now, you know, we've 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 explained that neo Nazis, yeah, they were there, but they essentially gate crashed the, the the party and and had nothing to do with the rally. Uh, now, you've made quite a keen observation that the online world of Twitter seems to be bleeding into the real world. And what, what what's your overall take on this situation? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure. I mean, I'm not overly familiar with um with Australian politics, but I can't help thinking um there's probably a motivation there that's more to do with his own political ambition, and perhaps stymieing hers than it is necessarily the the issues themselves. I mean, that just seems logical to me. Um, it does seem like a, a strange hill to die on <laughs> um, unless there's something else driving it. I suspect looking at the reaction from what I understand to her speech that he misread the room um, because I think, you know, he, he um, didn't do his research when um, when he slandered uh, Kelly J. He took it from Wikipedia, which, um, which well, in the feminist community anyway, is known as Dickypedia because 90% of the editors are, are men and, um, and it is obviously quite biased. I think with um, with regard to sort of, yeah, life imitating Twitter, I think it has changed the tenor of debate. It has, um, I mean, he probably thought he was onto a winner. He probably thought it would sort of, you know, get him a, a big sort of, oh, congratulations, aren't you? Aren't you stunning and brave and, and progressive bashing a, a Maori woman? Mm, well done. Um, so um, I think in a way, the fact it wasn't as well received as perhaps he thought it would be. I mean, I realised that they did vote to suspend her. So in that respect, he was successful. But I, I don't know. I mean, uh, not not being all over the Australian media, I'm not quite sure how it was picked up there. But um, but my gut says it perhaps didn't go quite how he expected it to, given the given that she was able to provide so many personal examples of why it mattered to her that he was had been too thick-skinned and arrogant to consider. Well, I, I think you're onto something there because the political climate, particularly in Melbourne, is very progressive, very left-wing progressive, and terminally even the conservative. So. Yeah, <laughs> and and even even the you know even the alternative conservative, uh, what what should be conservative opposition is, I think anything far you know it's it's not conservative at all really. Uh, it's just labour light, and I think. Were they going for like a rebrand? Do you think is that possibly? Yeah, I, I, I think I think the Liberal Party, which is you know the, our Conservative Party here in Australia, I think just in Melbourne it just has to it has to be more left leaning because of the, the the kind of constituency that 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 we have here, but. I, I think I think ultimately he had to give her some sort of reprimand or else his job would be on the line because, yeah, he I think he did make a big mistake. I think he went to Wikipedia and that's the only place he went to do his research. And if anyone look, looks up the, the, the Kelly J. Keane entry on Wikipedia, it's just – it's obvious that it gets bombed by, by TRAs constantly and, and updated. So even if, even if Kelly herself went and, and updated, it would be gone in five seconds. So, you know, he didn't do much work there. So – and I think he he had to do something, or else his his head would be on the chopping block. But um, but but the press has not uh, has not really been on the side of of Moy redeeming at all. I mean they 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 have a close eye now on her social media page, and anything that that she kind of says is reported negatively uh, on in the press. You know, I mean, it's like something out of the Crucible as well. Like um, they 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 made a claim that she condemned. Uh, you know the the, yeah. the organizer Angie Jones and 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 Kelly J and she's just gone on Twitter to say, actually no, that's not what I did and um and 
and then that's been picked up. That's been picked up, and then all of the <laughs> all of our uh, our journalists, uh, uh, award winning journalists at the ABC and whatever, have, have have asked him and said, well, actually, there's a discrepancy between you know she's 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 talking out of school. She's saying you know she didn't say that, and he's like, well, well, I'll be watching. I'll be watching everything yeah. she says. <laughs> you know, that's like I mean, yeah, I saw I saw some reporting on Sky, which actually seemed quite balanced. But um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm pretty ignorant of um, of Australian media. I am sorry. I feel like I should have done my homework. But more. maybe no. But maybe the broader point, Joe. Like all I've seen out of this is is a, a range of women um, getting told what's what. So if you're a politician. Um, then you get you will be defamed and and kicked out uh, again. Your your income uh, and salary uh, ha, uh, will be will be turned off, or the threat of it will be put there. If you if you're again uh, Angie, who 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 is is associated with setting it up again, defamed, uh, told to shut up, to go away. If you're Kelly J, you'll have stuff poured on you. If you're the women who 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 we who we we're trying to hear more about those the women who spoke. Her, we don't who we don't know the fallout of their lives of, of, of being on those live streams or the women who, who tried to you know when kelly got out what about the women who were left behind with, with all the um the the uh crazies so yeah. i mean it, I, I mean i just want to know what you think of this like this 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 chilling effect over and over again we're just seeing um you know it, it doesn't matter what job you have doesn't matter how high up you go like if you went onto twitter right now and you said certain things then wouldn't the same mechanism the matrix like mechanism just kick in and you would be it would just start and you'd be you'd be done with yeah i mean i guess sometimes i feel like we've been here before in that um you know every time there's been a push for women's rights whether it's you know the vote or whatever um there has been huge push pushback which i think gets forgotten now that you know everyone's sort of blind eyes as the suffragettes suffragettes and the suffragists and all the rest of it and get excited about it and don't realise that actually they were deeply, deeply unpopular, um, which I think really, if you're going to take a message from it, you should probably take that, um, that, you know, they were sneered at, they were derided, they were hated. But I suppose the difference is then a lot of them didn't have as much in a way to lose, um, whereas now, um, you know, well, you know, we, we've got work, we've got, we've got jobs, we've got, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, it is, it is more difficult. So, well, well, well. I mean, maybe thinking about it as well. I mean, what, what are there? Th- what can, what can we do? I mean, you know what I mean. Like it, it's just so. It to, to me, the message, as I say, that was sent was shut up, don't say anything, and oh, you'll lose your job. And I just, don't, I'm not quite sure how we break through, how how, uh, how people are allowed to say uh what they believe you know maybe there's a, a broader point there yeah but also i feel like the, the average person in the street would agree with 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 the kind of trans skeptical community on on a lot of issues surrounding trans ideology and and we could use that support in the fight but you know i think it's that that unbiased message how do, how do we get an unbiased message to those people to to help in the fight you know it's almost impossible yeah i mean i guess it's common sense. And what the thing that I find very frustrating is how many people say, oh, it's all so complicated now, when it isn't. And, you know, I think particularly, okay, this is a massive stereotype, but, you know, I think of Australia, and I am, I'm full of ridiculous stereotypes. So, you know, obviously it's giant spiders and all the rest of it, and sheep farmers. And you think, well, you know, anyone who's worked on a farm knows that sex is real. <laughs> um, I, am, I am sorry about, you know, stereotyping Australians, but you know what I mean. Um, you just think it's... 
it's just so patently obvious that of course the majority of the population are going to be outside, are going to understand this, are going to realise that, you know, every single one of us came out of our bloody mothers. Mm. So, yeah, I guess sort of how, how do you get that? How do you reach those people? How do you... Well, I suppose most people aren't political, aren't really engaged, are just carrying on with their lives. Um, particularly those who've got families who have got... So I suppose you've got a, a tiny minority... Um, of, of people on both sides who were actively engaged and most people just want to be nice and I can see why it's easy to get dragged in and to look at sort of inaccurate historical parallels um, which have been sort of very effectively weaponized and I mean the other thing is there is a huge industry pushing this so it's not just sort of getting the message out it's countering a, a propaganda machine because obviously it makes pharmaceutical companies a lot of money. Um, and also, I think it's worth bearing in mind that our sort of, our elites, our sort of thought leaders, those those who we sort of follow, um, are more likely to be pulled into this because they're that much more distanced from the everyday world. Um, so, you know, you look at the number of celebrities who have got trans kids, um, and it is quite astonishing um, but at the same time, not all that surprising because, of course, they're a bit detached and can sort of play around with identities because it doesn't really matter to them. So I guess looking at the sort of what we're fighting, not only apathy, not only political disengagement, not only people, you know, legitimately having important shit to get on with in their own lives, that makes it really hard. And when you have such sort of insane censorship on social media like I know that if I go on Twitter and say trans women are men that's it even under Elon Musk I will have my account deleted and that's that's ridiculous and you know in, in the UK certainly there are politicians who use like turf blocker um so that they don't even have to see the unpleasant opinions um again I think that's part of the is problem. that an actual uh, actual add-on you can put to Chrome is it wow. yeah well, I don't know if it's a, I don't quite know how it works, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it, and then there's a thing called Shingami Eyes. Have you come across that? No, but I know the reference. That's, that's from. Uh, oh, do you? An, I don't. What's the reference? Well, it's from a anime called Death Note. Uh, and so Shinigami, Shinigami is a, a god of death in Japan. And so in that, in that show, basically, if you get those eyes, you can see how long someone's got to live above their head, like, you know. So, uh, oh, so, that's creepy. And the, no, but the fact that it's tied up with this, see, anime plays a huge role in this whole thing, doesn't it? <laughs> Almost like they're a bunch of porn adult wankers. I know anime is not, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. well, on, on that social media issue, you know, we uh, our Instagram account recently got a 90-day ban for posting a Voltaire quote with, with the hashtag, I think, LGBTQ. And, and the quote was, if you want to know who rules you, find out who you're not allowed to criticise. And um, so we, we received a, a, a bizarre 90-day ban because – and the reason the fact-checkers uh, did that is because apparently Voltaire never said that quote. Is that really so why they the did it, why. though? Well, you know, I think having that hashtag really care LGBTQ about Voltaire? You know? <laughs> I mean, I, I've got to be honest, I don't think he did. Um, I have seen it thrown around. Um, yes. I've also seen it attributed to Rose Fleming and various other mm. But yeah. imagine being that hot about it. About, about, they're like, you know, I'm not even allowed to be wrong about, about Voltaire. <laughs> 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 I mean, it might as well you know, pick you up on grammar. I mean, that's ridiculous. Of course, it's not about that. Yeah. Yes. But there is this strange fact-checking kind of arm to these 
social media outlets that you know they're, they're these nameless faceless organizations that that are just able to at, at you know at a whim shut you down i think i think you know some way we need to shed a light on these people yeah and i mean i think particularly they were sort of really empowered during their pandemic which of course yeah. I, I, I think those sort of techniques were were really sort of swung into action then um of these impartial people who you know um, supposedly impartial, who weren't, who might have, you know, looked things up on Google rather than actually had any fucking medical qualifications themselves, suppressing the debate for the greater good. And I think, yeah, the minute you do that, you get rid of the liberal values upon which we all depend. It is absolutely fucking terrifying. Um, but I guess it's it's probably not going to be fought as hard in the online world as it is in the real world. But um, but actually, arguably, I'd say it's it's obviously, you know, that's the vector for information. That's where we get. So it's just appalling and terrifying um that they can do it with such impunity and that they can feel so um justified in doing it and i think yes that they feel justified in doing it about um covid apparent disinformation or whatever they had else then they're going to do it in another number of sort of political issues they don't recognize as political issues because they think they're human rights issues we saw a high octane example today with that awful shooting uh, that happened in america and then we've got you know, all of these legacy media organisations clambering over each other to to put in corrections that they had misgendered the shooter, you know? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that was just... Dystopian. Absolutely mad, isn't it? I mean, weirdly, our BBC reported that as by a woman straight off. And I was like, mm, the thing is, though, I shouldn't have to kind of double think and... Um, and, you know, sort of not not trust mainstream media outlets. But, I, you know, even as a journalist, no, I, I know enough not to because I know full well that they will be using style guides which are developed by lobby groups. So, um, yeah, when it when it came to that, so I understand it's actually a, a woman who thought she was a man. Um, and, um, well, at least that's, that's the sort of what, what seems to be the case. Um, and I do think it's really interesting, you know, when you compare that to, for example, um, Brianna Gray. Um, who was a, a teenager who was um, uh, murdered in the UK and um, he identified as trans and he was murdered by other teenagers, a boy and a girl. Or, mm, I shouldn't say that, sorry, no, they are on trial. And, um, and yeah, he was reported everywhere as, a, as, as being female, as being a girl, and it was weaponized massively by the trans lobby who said it was a transphobic killing. We don't know what the motivation was, um, but there's no evidence to suggest that it was because of that. Um, so, you know, they're very happy to sort of talk about trans status when it suits the political um, cause, when it suits the idea of trans people being victims, when it fits that narrative. Um, when when they're sort of considered to be perpetrators, that some, suddenly we revert to sex-based language. And, um, and the BBC, yes, referred to her as a her. Why is that? How strange. Um, and yes, now they're all getting tangled up. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's absolutely fascinating instead of watching watching what happens when you deviate from the truth. Well, <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous because, you know, you feel like someone in the room needs to look at that, the editor or whatever, and say, yeah, yeah, just before I change the the gender, flip it back or whatever, just to be clear, this, this person... Is the killer of the children? Is that I just need to be a hundred percent clear that 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 they whatever is they killed definitely killed the children, you know. And then people are like, yes, yes, yes. Well, anyway, why do you keep going on about the children? Anyway, let's just get get on, <laughs> get on with it. Get on with get it right, John. 
Well, uh, while we still have you, Joe, you, you recently wrote an article for Spiked about a trans woman who goes by the name of Barbie Kardashian. Can, can you tell our audience just a little bit about this story? Yeah, it's a horrible case. Um, and actually just, just looking at the, the, the court reports and doing the research was horrible. So I think he was born Alexander, Alexander, Alexander Gentile. And um, he he's 21 now, I think. And he moved to Ireland. Basically, he whether he was born or became essentially a psychopath, who knows? But um, his mum was horrendously abused uh, by the father. Um, the, the, the boy was um, basically co-opted to join in the abuse from a very young age. Um, so he raped and abused his mother. Uh, with the help of the father, she ran away to a refuge. His behaviour, she took him with her. Um, his behaviour became so unmanageable and dangerous that he was put into foster care, then he was put into an institution. So, you know, he was a, a very, very damaged young man. And then in t- soon as he was able to, he changed his uh, his legal sex um, because he was in Ireland. And since 2015, they've had gender self-identification there. So he just had to apply. And when, I think just for his 18th birthday, so he was just about to leave care, he attacked one of his social workers who was driving him. He ripped out clumps of her hair and then he, he tore her eyelids. The attack was so brutal. Um, and he, he, and he's got sort of a string, I think he's got 15 convictions, um, at 21 (laughs) for, uh, sort of sexual offences, violence offences. He's a very, very dangerous young man. And he has been put in the women's section of Limerick Jail, um, in Ireland, um, because they have self-ID there. And um, and this sort of sparked uh, sparked a national outcry. And uh, Leo Varadkar, the um, Irish Prime Minister, was asked, you know, whether he thought this young man was a man or a woman. And he said, oh well, no, no. I, I would say that yes, in this instance. I mean, I haven't looked at the case properly, but you know, perhaps he ought to be in a man's prison. I think, well, you were the one that presided over the bloody legal change. Ah, we all warned you this would happen. And indeed, some evidence has now come to light that he knew that he had been emailed at least that um, this was happening. Um, and I think there were there were a couple of paedophiles on the same wing, uh, again, men who identify as women, because, as I say, these, these crimes are obviously much more common um, amongst men than they are amongst women. Um, so, yeah, that sort of hit headlines, um, as these things often do. And every time something like this has happened, like for the past sort of, I don't know, seven, eight years, I've thought, right, that's it. That's gonna that's gonna change things. It's gonna be, I don't know, Karen White was another one who, you know, we had in... in in the UK or in Scotland, it's going to be um, Ilsa Bryson, Adam Graham, as her name is. Um, it's going to, that's going to be the one that changes things, and it doesn't seem to happen. It's, everyone seems to be a bit shocked and go, oh, it's just an anomaly, and not realise that actually, no, it's not an anomaly. It's part of a bloody pattern, because, you know, psychopaths in particular are going to use whatever tools are available to them to game the system, because that's what dangerous people do. <laughs> well, that's what I don't understand is how this is not a major blow for trans ideology. You know, it shows it shows that the, the trans women can can be violent predators, just like biological men, because because that's what they are, and and it affirms what we've known for thousands of years that men have a major physical strength advantage uh, over women as well. Like, you know, this should be a death blow 
you know, but but it's not. I mean, is it is it just a weight of numbers? Like, do, like, do we have to have a thousand of these stories come out before something changes, or, or, or maybe we just we just don't care about 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 women in prison? I mean, it is interesting that um, that Leo Varadka, whilst not referring to the specific instance, did say that he didn't think violent criminals, violent sexual offenders, should be in. Uh, male sexual offenders should be in women's prisons. So, you know, that's something. So there has been a shift a little bit. But I kind of, I, I guess there's no point arguing facts and logic and statistics and looking at the numbers with people who have a faith-based position, which is obviously what this is. Um, so in a way, I don't think it matters how many have. I don't think it matters how many instances there are. They will cling on to this narrative that trans people are a dangerous, sort of, you know, uh, a marginalized minority without realizing that um that that's not the case so it's sort of impervious to logic so i would love to be able to say you know there's going to be one thing there's going to be one instance there's going to be but i, I don't know i sort of I, I i oscillate on this sometimes i feel like it's it's sort of going in the right direction and i think within the uk probably but then you know the the chap who um who threw soup at um at kelly J, he was at un women for god's sake giving a speech I mean, you know, it's it's just astounding that these these sort of quite dangerous, unhinged, and I guess it probably goes with narcissistic personality disorder. I would imagine um, these sort of dangerous people, um, men, um, are, are fated, and it doesn't matter what they do; they are just impervious to scrutiny, to criticism, to any of the normal rules that the rest of us abide by. You could also uh, use that. That's a great example of that of that particular person. I think if you could sort of earmark that person and just what and follow you know online where they where they go where they where they're most welcome and what grants they have and where they work you probably have an interesting picture a dickensian picture of the world that of, the, of, of all those different spheres you'd say oh wow they're a video artist and they got this grant for for women oh wow like they that yeah they were at un women or whatever oh wow they met um they met that famous politician or that or that and so and you'd actually be able to get a very interesting picture of 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 uh, I don't know of the of the entire movement. Yeah, and I mean it's so common with these essentially grifters. I mean, look at Dylan Mulvaney. Um, yes. You know, mm. there's the fact that um, so he was saying, was like Kamala Harris sent him a letter on International Women's Day saying, you know, well done for being a woman for a year. Mm. <laughs> I'm just like, what? I'm so <laughs> I, look. Obviously, he's a kink machine and just needs to go away. But but but, but he's a massive opportunist too because he he he's a musical theatre guy. Yeah, he but was in aren't the you Book of jealous, Mormon. Ricky, of his hustle? I am. Yeah, he no, does have I hustle. Am. I am. I want. This is my UN invite, damn it. But I, I feel like we all three of us should be invited to the UN and not him. You know. <laughs> no, it's um, it, it's it's just infuriating and mad and i kind of i think i mean you know my sort of again i kind of vacillate on this a bit as well but um with my um feminist hat on sometimes i think that because women aren't necessarily always aware of um you know there's all this sort of like all this sort of fun feminist bollocks about uh, has has just seems to have gained a momentum of its own and become like a marketing thing. And there were so many sort of initiatives um, um, and it's almost become sort of, you know, trendy to be obnoxious about men without actually having any depth or any analysis behind it. And I don't think most women really have thought it through or recognised that um, the ways in which we are 
still considered second-class citizens. So I think because we don't necessarily recognise that, when a man comes along, like, for example, the soup thrower, whose name I've forgotten, um, Ilana, possibly? I don't know. Anyway, the soup thrower. I kind of think they think, well, you know, I, I know as, as a woman, I don't have a right to say that actually it wasn't okay when I was raped, when I was assaulted, when I was beaten up. But this person, wow, you know, he's, he's like a woman, but he's even better because he's a man and he ticks all these extra boxes. So, you know, with the, with the soup thrower, he was not only um, a bloke, um, he also claimed to be intersex. Yeah, right, they all claim to be intersex. He also claims to be um, a refugee from Colombia, maybe. Um, but you know what I mean? It's, it's almost like um, we're never quite good enough. Um, but these men sort of tick all these additional boxes and therefore deserve these sort of spangly prizes. Well, I think, Joe, perhaps you need to become more of an ornate liar. <laughs> I'll give it a go. <laughs> I think that's the secret. That's the, that's the special sauce you're missing, you know? Yeah. Uh, one of man who... <laughs> <laughs> yes, that could work. Well, Joe, we can't we can't keep you for any longer, but I just want to thank you again for being so generous with your time. No, not at all. I'm really sorry that um I, I rambled a bit. As I say, I'm not very good in the morning, so um so sorry about yes <laughs> being no, a bit flaky. Good. Good. But but b- b- before we let you go, we, we do have one final question that we ask all of our uh, all of our guests, and I'm, that is, are <laughs> oh, you prepared? What have you been reading? <laughs> I have been reading, um, so uh, lots recently actually, because um, I've been I've been reviewing books. But the the one I think is the most interesting and provocative and um, mind bending um, is um, Feminism Against Progress by Mary Harrington. Um, and um, yeah, essentially, if you want to know about cyborg theocracy or um, or uh, the meat nego lego gnosticism, she's your woman. It's a fascinating book. <laughs> I'm definitely going to get that. Definitely. It's, it's, it's I mean, I don't agree with it all, but it's fascinating. Well, Joe, if, if people want to follow you, what's what's the best way to do that? Uh, are you on Twitter? Uh, well, whilst I'm there, Twitter. <laughs> so your um, days are numbered, though, probably. Yeah, went to school Bartosz, I think. Something like that. Anyway, you'll find me. <laughs> well, cool. well, we'll put a link up there for our people. Thanks so much. All right. Good to see you both. Bye. Thank you for listening to the New Flesh podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live the New Flesh.